Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. It's August 24th. We're back. Matt is back from the beach. Steven's getting ready for his uh, professorial year. Uh, and the Orioles' losing streak has reached 18 games, so we have not missed a whole lot. We'll get to that in one second. First, a word from the sponsor. Uh, Mercer Floored Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business established in 1959. Located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So 18 games, guys, which is even when you're not trying to win, an 18-game losing streak is uh, something to behold. Uh, I think we're all about the same age, so I believe you guys are probably familiar with uh, – Peter Jennings, the deceased former anchor for uh, ABC World News uh, Tonight, right? Know him, see nodding heads there. Yep. So I remember as a kid, uh, the Orioles started the 1988 season 0-21, which was a remarkable feat. Uh, and what I remember uh, about that start, a couple of different things. Uh, I remember Jennings on World News Tonight. He ends with a clip, uh, I guess it was a, uh, uh, Peanuts, uh, you know, Snoopy, Charlie Brown, uh, comic strip where he showed uh, Charlie Brown and finally was celebrating winning a game. And, you know, they said, relax, it was only the Orioles you beat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt's holding up uh, Peanuts, uh, uh, stickers or something. But that was, uh, I've, I've looked for that strip, but I can, <laughs> I've never been able to find it again. But I remember seeing it. That, that's my memory there. Uh, also, the Orioles came home. They won a game in Chicago, and they uh, so they came home uh, May second, and they're like one in twenty one, and they or one in twenty three at the time, I believe. They lost a couple more after the win, uh, the win, uh, and they had a sellout that night of uh, you know fifty two thousand there at Memorial Stadium. Um, not going to have a sellout tonight uh, at uh, Oriole Park, Cannon Yards, uh, but get to that. And, of course, the 88 season and everything that that was led to 1989, probably my favorite year as a fan, and I've expressed it several times on the podcast during the past year. Uh, but going back to now, 21, 18 games in a row, really challenging, like the 62 Mets for levels of ineptitude. And yet, I just, I'm not overly bothered by it. I just can't admit it. Uh, I, I just can't really get too vested into it because I look at the roster and I know most of these guys are not going to be here very soon. So, uh, still, it's tough to watch on a night to night basis. And if you check in and you're watching the games, wow, is that something? It's, uh, it, you're just waiting for the, the shoe to drop every night. And it certainly does. Uh, Matt, I'll let you just uh, chime in with any general thoughts of just, yeah, you can just talk of just how poor the performance has been, uh, <laughs> overall. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty bad. And I won't lie to the listeners and tell them that I've been watching every night. Cause that would be a lie. Um, I did watch, you know, the Red Sox played three against the Orioles and the Red Sox were scuffling pretty hard. And, uh, the Red Sox got Chris sale back. So there was that and he pitched fine um but the remainder of that series which the red sox swept of course because it was in the middle of this stretch um was just i mean it was just non-competitive and i think the the big takeaway to me is and i was listening to the mlb pipeline podcast earlier today um is that pitching is the real issue you know that the team's prospects are uh, good in terms of you know where the where the minor league system is and obviously Stephen can talk to the specifics of this much better than I can but you know generally 
they have one of the top systems in baseball. Mostly that is composed of hitting prospects, not entirely, obviously, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. But um, there's really not much on the major league roster. You know, Chris talked about in some of his most recent articles about, you know, the the hopes of having a, a decent team this year sort of rested on some of the younger guys being reasonable big league starters and, and, and that hasn't happened. And so it just strikes me that, you know, um, the red, the Orioles, sorry, the Reds, the Orioles can hit on a bunch of their guys, you know, Rushman can come up and, and be as great as he, as, you know, everyone thinks he can be, but until they get some pitching, Still got to be able to pitch, right? Yeah, and it's just – and it's not there now. Like, even if those two guys come up and pitch really well, it's not not enough. Now, you know, it's a lot easier to (laughs) fill the holes in if they have two top-of-the-rotation starters there. Um, I'm not sure – that's well, let's even chime in there for a second, but really, yeah, go ahead. One thing you said there that really stands out, Matt, is you talk about how they were just not competitive in that Boston series, and yeah. up until these this past weekend where they had some competitive games against Atlanta, they were completely, completely uncompetitive in that stretch. I mean, I mean, losing I forget how many games in a row by X amount of runs. It wasn't like these were you know close games. For a major league team to be that far, that uncompetitive is, is really uh, unfathomable. It really does start with the pitching, which uh, yeah. the most recent article I had, I listed whatever the Orioles team ERA was, and it's escaping me right now. But, I mean, it's like six runs a game. <laughs> I mean, which is – and this is like four or five years now, you know, outside of last year's 60-game – uh, you know, the condensed season where the ERA has just been kind of unfathomable, uncompetitive levels. I mean, if you are ever going to be competitive at any any level, you have to have some level of pitching. It's just, you know, obviously it's, you know, we're not saying anything profound there. Steven, just kind of general thoughts of, of this uh, stretch. Uh, 580, by the way, 580 is their current team ERA, which is, and six twenty two for the starters. Six twenty two for the starters. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Steven. Yeah. I would also have to admit, um, I haven't really been watching any games, but that's because um I have Hulu and Masson doesn't have a deal with Hulu. But uh that aside, I mean I I say I've even struggled struggling listening to games. You can at this check point. in the game threads every day and follow me watching the games until I just can no longer watch the games. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean I, I, yeah. I mean I listen to a fair bit of the games on uh on the MLB app sort of thing, um, as much as I possibly can. And I, I pity the announcers that have to try to especially at this time of the year, like, you know, more power to them. You know, that's that that's a job. Um Yeah, really. I mean, I think George Will at one point um, said that uh, made a joke about Ronald Reagan having two of the hardest jobs in America, being a Cubs broadcaster back when the Cubs were horrible and then president. So, you know, at <laughs> Orioles broadcaster this year, and that's about what we're looking at here. But I mean, what's really been interesting to me is just in the last week, give or take, um, is how the national writers seemingly have started to come out of the woodwork and started talking about how, you know, the Orioles as a symbol of tanking and the need for anti-tanking measures in the next CBA, which they are um, like, you know, you can't you can't uh, deny that sort of thing. Like, you know, there is Orioles have not been shy about their not necessarily compet- non-competitive uh, instincts. This year. It's just interesting that it took the 18 game losing streak to get there and not the, I mean, what was their record before the 18 game losing streak? Uh, 38 and 67 record before that. So, um, and the two years prior to that of the hundred losses, then the 38 and 67, like, I mean, it's just interesting that it took to this stage for that to really start getting discussed. Like, you know, once again, my mind's, you know, Chris, like you, my mind's towards the future, but for me, the really interesting thing is what's going to come in December and November as they're starting to talk about the CBA and how that could honestly affect the Orioles from their um, rebuilding standpoint, like you know, there's all the discussion yeah, so we can go, at this we can go point there about like are the are the Orioles going to spend 120 million? Are they going to um, 
are they going to spend even a hundred million? I mean, if without some, without some sort of uh, incentive from the CBA, I'd be surprised if they spend eighty million next year. So, I mean, it's just going to be really interesting how those changes take hold. So, um, well, we can go there for a second. There was a CBS article the other day. I didn't put it in, in our itinerary, but based off the comments you both had, I think you saw kind of the outline there. So, Major League Baseball submitted their uh, initial offer to the union about a hundred million floor and a hundred and eighty million uh, ceiling. That's not going to be accepted by the union, but right. it, it, it's a, it's an opening salvo and we'll see see where things go from there but kind of interesting uh in terms of just uh you can apply it directly to the orioles right they would be one of the teams that uh going up to 100 million floor would be uh you know increase substantial increase from where they are where uh john bioli beat writer with uh baltimore sun his estimate for the orioles opening day payroll 2022 and this is with arbitration raises and including Chris Davis's uh, now completely deferred salary is 54 million. So jumping from 54 to 100 would be obviously a $46 million increase and fairly substantial. Steven just said he didn't believe the Orioles would jump up to 80. There's been a lot of discussion at Baltimore Sports and Life on our board about what number is realistic to expect. So uh, people should go to the um, to that site and check out that discussion in addition to watching you melt down in real time on a daily basis. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there has been some level of, of meltdown among the fans who I think have been fairly patient throughout this process, but you know, an 18 game losing streak and then wondering, Hey, where is the light at the end of the tunnel? You can sell the farm system. You can sell uh, whatever, but people want to believe, you know, is there competitive baseball around the corner? And it's a, it's an apt discussion. I, you know, uh, I, I do have my own feelings, which kind of generally are, you know, to, to repeat myself, I felt like during the 1998 to 2011 stretch, the Orioles never had a real chance to compete, but they kept putting teams on the field that were like, they were hoping that they could possibly finish 500, but they knew they could never, they could never compete. And uh, I, during that process, I said that I would rather go through what the Orioles are experiencing now, uh, if it led them to being closer to an actual competing at the highest levels and a sustained, uh, you know, a sustained run of quality baseball. So there's multiple ways to build a team. Bottom line is the Orioles chose this path. They've now developed some players to move forward with. There'll be more ascending. And I continue to say the biggest thing that they've achieved is that they cleared out the decks of their payroll obligations. So they have the ability, if they so choose, to add add payroll. And again, if we factor in for inflation – you know what they paid in 2017, which was about 164 million, with inflation that's about 181, 182 million today. So let's call that their max available possible payroll, right? You know this is what they've done five years ago. So that should be their max. But we'll not. I'm not asking them to go to that level from. 54 million to 180 million next year. And it's fine, you know, if, if they decide we're not going to 80 or 90 million, that's fine too. But you have to start to, you have to put a product on the field this coming year in year four of the Elias regime where you're, you have a competitive product. <laughs> you can't be, again, this, uh, at this level of ineptitude. Uh, you know, there's no reason for it because uh, uh, you've already achieved what you were looking to achieve. I mean, wh- what else are you, what else are you gaining by another year of completely punting uh, anything at the major league level? I can, I can answer that rhetorical question if you want. Um, <laughs> it's not, you're not going to like it, but the, uh, what you gain is more of what you have, which is an improvement on the farm system. Um, and, you know, you, you could turn that around and say, 
also how much more damage to the fan base can you possibly do than what you've already done over the last three or four years? Like if the team wins 50 games again next season, you know, with a $54 million payroll um, and Adley Rushman comes up and Grayson Rodriguez comes up and that's it, then – People yeah, make I, that argument, Matt, about losing the fan base, and that's for me doesn't hold a lot of. Yeah, weight. I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah. but I think, but I think that is something that the the front office is obviously depending on, and they, I think they clearly agree with with that idea, you know, that we share, which is that you know if they continue to dump on them, you know, dump on Orioles fans the way that they have been, you know, with the major league product being borderline to literally unwatchable, then. Um, the uh, fans aren't going to go away that next year there will be more hope and people will come back. And if this season is repeated next year, then the year after that, the same process will happen. Yeah. People, you know? the, people, uh, Joe average fan will, will check out. They've checked out now. Yeah. They'll check back in whenever the Orioles are good again. Yeah, and, sure. And you know, some people will argue, hey, you're going to lose a generation like they did in 98 to 11. But during that 12 to 16 run, uh, there was plenty of orange to be found in the seats again. People again found the team. There was, you know, when you win, people will come back. So I'm, I'm not worried about that aspect. To your other point, you know, it's kind of the more interesting. It's, you know, well, they can continue to add to the talent accumulation that they have they're they're having they may not feel they're in a position to get any closer to winning so we might as well continue to evaluate what we have but you've got now a system that's highly regarded one or two between like fan graphs and baseball america depending on the outlet you're looking at you know uh mlb pipeline has them too i think Pipeline has two, so the, the the depth is is there. Uh, you can argue maybe how much high end talent is right at the top, but it's a pretty deep system of potentially util, usable players, which should allow you to also address address needs. Uh, going back to the idea of of the pitching, right? So if if you have a system that's chock full of uh, uh, positional players and you lack uh, you know, pitching uh, prospects, which can be debated, but let's say Dan Connolly's article at The Athletic and kind of what was debated on Pipeline apparently earlier today. If we're going to go with that, then you can say, well, if you have more of this surplus, then you should be able to address, you know, this deficiency, which I think has always been kind of a part of, of Elias's draft profile where we were going to, go after the bats and more maybe that more projectable talent that we, we've talked about and we were going to buy buy or trade for the for the arms later so kind of going multiple areas here some other topics we're going to re-get to later on uh, through the list but Stephen kind of wrap up this section here just any any last thoughts you might have there yeah again like I, I think we just about covered everything and we're going to cover much of what we said again just because really this this losing streak encompasses everything from how do you build a team? When do you rebuild? What is, you know, what role does the front office have in this? What role does MLB have in this? We're going to hit this in so many different ways over the next, well, uh, 30 minutes and over the next three months at this point. So uh, I think this is just debate. um, Well, probably debate 30 of, you know, thousands that we'll have. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it, Steven. So let's get into Elias's comment directly. Uh, sent you guys the link. Masson kind of recapped it. Uh, uh, Elias had some comments earlier in the week. You know, uh, when you've lost X amount of games in a row, at some point you have to get in front of uh, uh, the local press and uh, you have to make some comments. And Elias did. Uh, you can you can read how they went over with our uh, with the fan base, or at least part of the fan base, at uh, our message board. Stephen, what was your take on, on what Elias said there? I mean, to a certain extent, 
he said what he has to had to say. You know, you point, you admit, yeah, this sucks. It, you know, the last the month of August has not been fun, but there are good things. You know, he got out in front of, um, you know, there's been a lot of heat on Hyde, which I, I don't think is fair. I mean, like, look at this team. I mean, honestly, look at the last three years of teams. Like, what what could you honestly expect? And you point to what's good. And how, you know, the goal is improving the Orioles' long-term playoff odd chances. So forget this year, honestly, forget next year probably, but long-term playoff odds chances. And, you know, it's going as you'd as was to a certain extent planned. I mean, the Cubs in their lead-up to things had three 90-loss seasons. The Astros, I, I hate mentioning them because they keep on getting brought up because of Elias connections, all that, but you can't deny they had 300-loss seasons as well. Um, Orioles would probably, if last year had been a full season, would be on their way to their fourth, uh, most likely at this point. But to a certain extent, we're at the end of the easy part of the rebuild. Like, it's easy to cut the payroll, lose the games. Um, it's easy to start building up the, uh, the farm system when you have top five draft picks constantly. And now, honestly, the additional capital. Yeah. And at this point, it's we're starting to hit the phase where now the hard part actually begins of turning all of this potential, all of this capital that is there. And it most certainly is there into honest to goodness, major league production and ultimately wins. And again, that's the hard part. There are no guarantees about tanking. Yes, it worked for the Cubs. It works for the Astros. But it hasn't exactly worked for the Phillies um, when they tried to bottom out for a bit. You know, they had multiple top 10 picks for three or four years in a row. Like, it doesn't always work. And I, yeah, the I pirates hate to be still a mess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Pirates are still a mess. And they're going to be for a bit longer as well. And especially if they tried to go this tanking sort of route and they and MLB, you know, quote unquote, pulls the rug out from under them by changing the CBA, which, again, I will re- reiterate, it needs to. Um, and... Uh, you know, their rebuilding uh, method has to change. So, I mean, I there's no guarantee that all this will work out, and I'd hate to be Elias if it doesn't. I mean, if it doesn't work out, he's not going to be long for uh, long for Camden Yards. But, you know, he, he said what he had to do. Um, he got out there, he said the things, and, you know, nothing unexpected in what he said. So it's just now is the time to start turning. He has to start hopefully turning the fans uh, base's mind away from, you know, the potential to actually realizing some of that potential in a sense. Yeah. I, I think you made a lot of good points there, Stephen, particularly um, he said what he had to, he didn't obfuscate. Uh, people were saying he was pretty uh, vague. I actually think he said a lot really there. If you, if you read it and, and you know, the thoughts on Hyde, I mean, the major league product right now, 26-man roster probably has 10 to 12 major league caliber players, and the the rest are uh, replacement level or worse. I don't know how you really evaluate that. It'd be nice to see Hyde have one representative team, and then you could could evaluate. But if you wanted to move on from him, I guess I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't shed a tear either. Uh, but... Yeah, I, I think you, what you really said that I agree with is like they've done the things that they had to have done. They've built up the other infrastructure, uh, you know, the analytics, player development, scouting, uh, investment in the Dominican, uh, and really anything international where they have it before. Now, it's argued all the time at our message board that like uh, these are all things that you could do without tanking uh and it's not it's not a requirement to rebuild in this capacity and you could still build all of your other infrastructure in that capacity and i won't argue it's basically can you walk and chew gum at the same time right uh you know that's why to me you know the primary benefit of operating in this capacity is clearing the decks financially and then what do you do with that but um, Matt, just thoughts on anything Eli said, anything that stood out to you there? Well, I think Stephen makes a great point. I mean, when I read it, um, you know, I listened to the comments and, and I think he makes, you know, he's a persuasive talker. He's a smart guy. And, 
it's easy to come away going, oh, well, you know, he has accomplished a lot. You know, the the farm system was terrible and now it's good. You know, they had no presence internationally and now they are a presence internationally. You know, they have an analytics department that they simply didn't really didn't exist before. Um, and all those are accomplishments, like not to take anything away from them. But I think Stephen's point really resonates with me. Like that is they've done the easy part. Like it doesn't take any genius to go, oh, your, you know, your organization is garbage. You have no international presence. Like so many players come from the international stage. You need to have a presence there. Duh, do it. You know, your your farm system sucks. Okay, fix the farm system. Well, how do you do that quickly? Well, you lose a lot. You lose a lot and then you get really high draft picks and you get a huge draft budget. Lose a lot of games and your farm system will improve really quickly. Like there, did it? Like, yeah, it certainly doesn't take take a genius on the international level. But the, the the one caveat there is that at least under the Angelos ownership from '92 on, the Orioles have had zero presence internationally. So right. he's the first one to be able to effectively sell it to the ownership. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's fair. And I'm I'm not trying to be like a total wet blanket, but I I just think Stephen's point is really. Uh, really a good one which is that it is is now that we have all these things like okay you've gone out and you have all these all these parts all these car parts that new car parts that you have now you have to build a car with that and that's the hard part like do you know how to build a car well we don't really know until you actually do it and turn the thing on and drive down the street um and that's i've got the sheet metal i bought the factory i've got some workers but can i actually build the car so uh yeah, I mean that you'll be judged on that. I mean, now yeah. you're going to be ju- judged on can you build a, you know, a competent and then a winning team, and, right. and then can you sustain it, <laughs> and then ultimately can you win at the highest level? I mean, that's what you're going to be be graded on. But that was going kind of going back to my my point is, and you gave your answer, Matt, about what could be gained by continuing this but it's just to me it's like all right you've done these things now it's right now it's the next stage and you you've got to you know you've got to show some type of progress but they have to admit it's the next stage where they have to agree it's the next stage like they define when the stage ends you know like it's up to the front office to go okay now it's time to put the car parts together or maybe they look at it and they go, yeah, we got a lot of car parts. We don't really have the right car parts or these car parts aren't quite good enough or I want We're gonna that be, gonna car be, part. Yeah, that, that's right. They could be completely on their own time frame, right? And, I mean, up to a, obviously up to a certain extent, you know, like if we're doing this in five years, then, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, well, well, Chris will be dead, but uh, beyond oh, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> Chris will be dead. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So it was mentioned earlier. We'll mention it again. Dan Connolly, formerly of uh, the Baltimore Sun, currently with the Athletic. Uh, he wrote an article on the Orioles minor league pitching. Our fellow colleague Bob Phelan's been on a couple outlets uh, locally, Press Box, and also Masson uh, speaking about. Uh, he was asked about Connolly's comments, and Dan, uh, Bob was pretty fired up. He did not like them. No, uh, no, he did, he did not <laughs> enjoy them. Uh, I understood Connolly's point to a, you know to a degree, but I I also you know the entire time of Elias's regime, I think he's been pretty straightforward. Like you know, especially and you've seen it through the drafts. And again, I I just said this, but they were they were drafting the bats at the highest level. We were going to have a surplus of bats. And then we're going to go either external through free agency or trade to obtain uh, the other arms. And we've talked about, obviously, Rodriguez and Hall. Uh, Hall, we'll see what happens in terms of, you know, he's only pitched a certain amount of innings. It's under 40 this year, plus, you know, he's been on the shelf, uh, you know, for months. Uh, and we've talked about that kind of that group of 10 arms. We've talked about them repeatedly of guys who have had success through the double A level and maybe they have three or four of them project as potentially back end starters. Maybe a couple of them could be bullpen arms. And my feeling is the Orioles need to be able to develop at least one or two of them 
if we're going to tout our player development and, and overall and that production, they got to get something out of that group, uh, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, more arms are going to be needed, <laughs> and they're going to have to go outside of their organization to get some arms. So I wrote two articles. The one was kind of at, at uh, saying, you know, I'd like you to spend 140 million, and you know that's kind of a dream scenario. Do I think they're going to do it? No, but yeah, okay. If you did, this is what would be available. And then I wrote an article saying 90 million. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking. You're negotiating against yourself, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I'm Next week's article: The Warriors are going to spend 65 million. How are we going to do it? <laughs> It, that is the next article. I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, because, it's gonna be a good one, though. The yeah, other two are good because because what, whatever number you assign that you're going to spend, then you have to figure out how to operate within those constraints. And right. Tampa Bay has certainly done that, and, and of course, they're years ahead in terms of their overall infrastructure and everything else internally. But you find other ways to operate. And going into year four of the Elias regime, it is nail on Elias to build a product next year that finds a way with whatever, whatever budget that he has to be more competitive. And they I think need that's it. a really instructive example. I mean, <laughs> if you look at, at that, them, if that group as like the, the top, I mean, you know, some people might put the Dodgers at the top, but I, I would say the Rays front office is the cream of the crop in, in baseball right now. I, you know, just based on what they've done and how much they've, how they've done it. Um, and it's, it's the primary instructional uh, yeah. model for the for the Orioles. If they're so going, if they're going to operate in the American League East, and they are going to have the self-imposed financial restraints, you know, if the Orioles are saying to themselves internally, "We are never going up to those levels of spending uh, uh, previously, and we are going to be here," then model yourself as Tampa Bay and operate like Tampa Bay, which, and that requires you to stop losing and start making smart decisions at the major league level and hopping into DeLorean and trading Mancini a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we, we yeah. discussed that though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I'm, if there are multiple ways to build, if you say you're going to be at 65 million in, in payroll, then okay, we'll operate accordingly yeah. <laughs> and, and, and make, and, and be make consistent with your decision-making. Be consistent with your decision making, right? That, that that's all. I, uh, that's all. I'll ask. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, just focusing for a second on the idea of, of going and buying a couple of arms, uh, Stephen. You said you didn't think the world's going to eighty million. I got to say, I think you're probably right. But for purposes of what I said there in an article, I said ninety million. Uh, I targeted two starters and two relievers. So I would subtract out the two relievers and I would target two starters. And I targeted Alex Wood and Zach Davies. And these are two, you know, Wood's a little bit more exciting with his peripherals, but these are two mid-rotation arms who should be fairly obtainable. They'll be in demand because they are mid-rotation arms that only cost so much. So lots of teams can potentially... Uh, go after them, but um, that would be a, an occasion where I would say, "Hey, Orioles, why, why don't you use some of the financial resources you have, or maybe tack on something, <laughs> you know, uh, option-wise, uh, incentive-wise, that makes it worthwhile for them to to come." But you know, two mid-rotation arms teaming with means, you hopefully from that group of ten, you get one guy that steps forward as a viable uh, fourth or fifth starter, and then you, Rodriguez ascends in June. And then maybe you have a semblance of a, of a major league rotation, and you could be, uh, you know, you're not going to be a world beater, but you'd certainly be more competitive. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, certainly. It would, be, it would be great to see them spend on well, anything. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I've said yeah. that. I mean, I've said that. I, I think what they will do is, you know, continue with these million dollar guys. I wouldn't mind say a, I don't know, a four million dollar guy. I would have loved to have seen them try for Carlos Rodon. I mean, he's a free agent after this year as well. So like, um, but he's uh, he's probably paid. Oh, that's going to be interesting. What, he's played that'll him, be a deal. Yeah, he's he's played himself into a payday on that one. I mean, four four wins above replacement, two five ERA. I mean, that'll yeah. um, 
that that that's more than what the Orioles probably would be willing to go in on. But I mean, why not try on some of those types of guys that could be, um, I guess you could say, if you, well, mid tier reclamation project types. I mean, <laughs> Orioles fans. I have a name for at, at four million, you're, you're not getting. Uh, a guy that you can depend on, but you're getting the guy the next level above Matt Harvey, who has yeah. a, 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 more upside with a chance of actually performing. Right. I would like at least one guy. I, I think you have to add at least one starter that, that you can buy that based off a of historical performance, which doesn't dictate future performance, but is your best indicator thereof that you're going to get some level of production, <laughs> uh, you know, some level of known quantity. Hey, you know, I just, uh, when you're, start, when your starters ERA is 6.2 or, or whatever you mentioned, Stephen, how can you not add one viable starter to the mix? <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about all the, the prospects too, that are coming up, you know, Adley Rushman and Grayson Murray as, as guys who can be part of the next big Orioles winner. And I think that's true, but I also think that if you call those guys up and you stick them on the team that's out there right now, like, are they really going to want to stay? Are they going to want to go through all that? Are they going to want to sign an extension in Baltimore? I mean, I, yeah, uh, maybe six six years of control is a long time. Hopefully, in that six year process, you, you've uh, <laughs> you've certainly improved. I hope so. I hope so. I, yeah. I would ho- I would hate for that to be the poison. Um, one name for you guys, um, as far as the starting pitchers goes, is um, former Oriole prospect Eduardo Rodriguez, currently of Boston. His deal is up at the end of the year. He's having a bit of a tough season in the ERA department, but he's getting babbit to death. The Red Sox defense is terrible and um, his strikeouts are up. His walks are down and, uh, and he's just a good pitcher. Um, you know, you get some pushback on that from Red Sox fans, but um, he, yeah, that's, that's a guy who I think could reasonably be expected to step forward and his numbers might be uh, a little, you know, his, his contract numbers might be a little down after, you know, going into the uh, uh, off season as a free agent with this season on his resume. So that could be a, you know, a two or three year deal, something like that, that gets so, uh, again, if the Orioles starting point is 54 million, what's the lowest payroll the Orioles could have of adding two in your mind, viable starters to the rotation. And I'll let you define what viable is for you, but uh, asking me. Yeah, uh, you know, you guys can jump in there. Well, the Red Sox added Garrett Richards and Martin Perez this past offseason. And both of them just got taken out of the rotation. But Richards cost $10 million plus, I think, a $2 million team option for, I don't know, whatever. It's like $12 bucks a year um, on a, on a one-year deal, roughly. And Martin Perez is something like 2 to $3 million a year. So... What is that? I don't know. Two guys for fifteen million and change, maybe a maybe a hair more than that. I mean, yeah, I, I was going to guess the lowest that you could, if they're actually going to add anyone, um, Chris, in the uh, in the realm that you're talking, we're, we're looking at seventy million that they would be able to run as the lowest payroll. Yeah, because but like I said, both those guys just got pulled out of the rotation. So you're talking about guys who at that level financially are fifth starters or six starters or seventh. I mean, obviously they'd still be in the rotation if they were on the Orioles now, but um, the idea is that they would okay, pitch well so, enough so that that wouldn't be a problem. 70 million, because if you look at the Orioles lineup for next year, once Rutschman is up June 1st, basically seven spots are pretty much, I, I think it's pretty clear that seven spots are pretty much uh, accounted for. Uh, and for me, just to say it out loud, so Mancini and Mount, Mount Castle first in DH, Rutschman at catcher, Mullins in center. I think they're going to run it back with Hayes and Santander on the corners for uh, another year and give. We'll see. Uh, you know, by this time next year, they might both be out of the picture, or uh, maybe one or both of them. You know, you feel like you have something, but. 
I think they'll both be back for, for next year. And then second, uh, internally between Jones, who just got caught up, uh, Vavra, and maybe Bannon. Uh, uh, you know, I think they have three options they're going to run internally. So then you're looking at short and third to be addressed somehow. But then, you know, to add two starters, Stephen's basically saying at the lowest, you're looking at going up to, you know, 70 million, at least in the starter range that I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so um, you know, if, if you're running back to positional core and your starters have a 6.2 ERA, you know, maybe we add a couple of starters that we can semi semi depend on, you know, just a thought. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Uh, you don't want to go crazy, Chris. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we talked about this as well. The updated system rankings, fan graphs, Orioles first, baseball America second. Uh, Matt, I believe you mentioned, uh, pipeline. I didn't see I, you said second for first. I didn't I see. I think they're the second. Internet. I yeah. tried to look. Th- I tried to look it up, and somehow they don't actually have it listed. But it's on their newest podcast, so they might be first. I I can't remember first. So it's been a, while, been a while since I talked to Cal, so we'll talk, try and talk to him or or uh, Mayo again soon and get, and get their thoughts there. But okay, bottom line, system in good shape. You, you might be able to pick it. Maybe the the amount of high end talent at the top, or maybe there's not quite enough arms for you, but the system is in good shape. Uh, and that that is something we can ha- hang our hat on uh, as Royal fans right now. Uh, Steven, just kind of, you know, who's interesting you the most right now beyond, you know, obviously the Rutschman and Rod- Rodriguez names right at the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, D.L. Hall, of course, you know, right behind him. Just it's it's interesting looking at the Orioles system. You know, you have a couple of talents that do seem to be truly foundational talents in terms of uh, Rutschman and Rodriguez. Hall, if he can hold his arm together for a year and all that, absolutely can be a starter and a a starter in a playoff series. I think he has that sort of talent there. But beyond that, it's it's really interesting. There are a lot of guys that, you know, they profile as, you know, solid regular types. You know, I, I love Colton Kowser. He's gotten off to a good start in his minor league career. You know, Gunnar Henderson, Heston Kerstad. But it's really interesting. Like, there are a lot of lottery ticket guys in this system in a way, especially amongst the 10 arms. Um, you know, you know, not complete lottery tickets, guys that you're just, you know, have no hope of hitting on, but, uh, you know, mid-tier guys. And th- honestly, it's part of the reason why I like the Rays system better is because they have more what I kind of view as usable depth, tradable depth in the system that they really can uh, turn into major league talent either by a development sort of factor from them or by trading them away. And a few of those Orioles guys need to hit, not in the sense that they need to hit to become a major league guy, but to really be able to package them to, as you said, buy that pitching or trade for that pitching in a sense. Some of those guys need to make a few steps forward to really build up the depth to really get that get the full use out of where they probably you know where they honestly will be in the long term they're not going to probably be all-stars maybe they'll make the majors but their contributions to the next orioles team majority of these guys are probably going to be the guys that get traded for fill in the blank and a few of those guys need to take a step forward for that but it's nice that we're even to a stage where we can even think about well maybe we almost have a few guys that we could package so it it is a step forward and it's an important step forward so but i still would like there are a couple guys that i'd like to see some improvements from in that way matt any, any thoughts there um well I, I think it's encouraging that um heston kirstad was upgraded to being able to participate in baseball activities recently i i heard that that happened and that uh yeah, the, best of that best of that young man has been a very hard stretch for him. You just yeah. uh, glad that he has his help, but the fact that he's uh, playing at all, uh, you know, if this can be sustained, maybe get get into some fall action, and then next year, if he can, you know, have a regular stretch of games, and then yeah. then you can evaluate evaluate what you have there. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, and I, you know, I, the other thing I noticed was that yeah, Colton Kowser has gotten off to a nice start. Um, you know he's uh, he's got a home run. It's seven games, but a uh, home run and and three doubles. So um, 
you know, it's uh, it's rookie ball, but there's uh, it's always nice to, you know, to watch uh, your first round pick have a have some success, especially if it's a guy that, you know, they've gone against the grain just a little bit on. Well, I'm particularly excited about Jordan Westberg uh, myself. Uh, I mean, uh, he has reached a double A level now. Uh, he'll get that the remainder of this season. Figure he starts. Eh, he probably starts there to begin next year as well. But uh, I think he, by the middle of next year, will be uh, in the major leagues, uh, getting time at short and third. Uh, depending on what else the Orioles ever do <laughs> uh, externally to address those positions. But one of those two positions, I imagine that he will be getting extended time next summer uh, in the majors. And, you know, so again, looking at the positional core, that's eight, eight I was guys. Say, <laughs> Chris, as you pointed out, that's, you know, when you were going through the positions, the left side of that infield is, is where the biggest questions are you know, at least defensively. Yeah, so. it's Westberg and uh, Henderson, and there are a number of uh, other, uh, actually, the Orioles have drafted a lot of middle infielders the last few years, and and they've, uh, uh, they, they've, they've stacked, and there's a few other names coming up, but the names most people are excited about are Jordan Westberg and, and Gunnar Henderson, Gunnar being the uh, the high school kid, uh, and uh, but he's progressing as well. I would think he would. I would think Henderson would also start next year at Double A. I think he's a little bit behind Westberg. Westberg being the college, uh, you know, college bat. But um, I don't think it's out of the realm that Henderson could also reach the majors next year. I would, you know, it, it, it's not probably likely, but it's not impossible here. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely interesting. Certainly enjoying the, uh, you know, if there's anything to hang your hat on as an Oriole fan right now, it is the improved uh, system and you can follow our colleagues at on the verge who have been just doing a uh, great job all summer and kind of leading Orioles Twitter with something for them to enjoy. Uh, so go check out their show uh, and uh, check out their rankings and their top 50, which you can find at the site. Yeah, those guys are fantastic. They've been killing it. So let's reset the divisions. Let's go outside the Orioles talk uh, for a second. Uh, the Rays, they continue to lead the AL East. Obviously, New York has been red hot. Uh, and uh boston is the second wild card overall uh in the central the white Sox are in complete control out west uh houston continues to lead oakland's game back of boston for the second wild card and seattle is a free back of the second wild card in the national league atlanta is taking control of the east i believe you guys kind of may have expected that and that has happened uh, milwaukee has Widen their lead in the central of Cincinnati, currently the second wild card. And out west, San Francisco continues to lead now 36 games over 500. The Padres have gotten Tatis back, uh, but they are 2-8 and eight in their last 10, and they are one game back of Cincinnati for that second wild card. So, uh, Matt, kind of, you know, what stands out to you uh, of, uh, of the races throughout uh, baseball? Well, I'd say two things. One is how most of them aren't that close. Um, a lot of the divisions are almost decided. I mean, as you just sort of pointed out, one the the one thing that stands out to me, and it's maybe just me, it's the Red Sox completely falling apart. You know, they had the best record in baseball for a short period of time, best record in the AL for a while, and now they're barely hanging on to a wild card. Um, and it's not just one thing. It's, you know, the starting pitching has been a problem. You know, the hitting has been a problem. The defense has been atrocious. Um, they've made outs on the bases. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been fun. Um, so yeah, that's, but I think that's like the biggest change in the standings is, uh, you know, is the Orioles going from, from first to, uh, you know, to third and, and, you know, getting swept, New York swept them. In New York, the games were in New York, thank God. Um, but yeah, so that's and I, you know, that could yeah, I think you said the Orioles there, obviously, me of <laughs> Boston. Oh, I sorry. Did hear, uh, I did hear uh, uh, Bill Simmons on his podcast talking about uh, uh, the Red Sox uh, August collapse and saying, hey, maybe they were, were uh, 
Um, you know, all year has been kind of fun, but everybody's kind of waiting, uh, not really in, believing uh, in them. Maybe the front office didn't believe either because they didn't go and add, uh, add as well. But uh, still in the playoff mix at this time, and uh, they could potentially uh, get in. And once you're in, short series, who knows? Um, Stephen, yeah. about, about you, what's what stands out? Um, I think the Padres will still overtake them, but the Reds sticking around and still doing things. I mean, like, there the lineup is a lot deeper than you might have necessarily thought going into the year. You know, there were going to be questions. You know, can Jesse Winker? Uh, you know, always a positive offensive contributor breakout in the short season last year. Can he continue? Well, he's gotten better. Jonathan India is the best, um, at least by Fangraphs wins above replacement, best uh, rookie hitter at, uh, you know, th- about three and a half wins above replacement, something like that. And all of this coming together in a way that I was not in any way, shape or form expecting. I'm trying to remember back when we had our, you know, preseason talk about the divisions and all that did we even like you know did we even mention the reds did that even come up in any way shape or form i mean i doubt it considering i mean well the central being the central it might have gotten a little bit of credit or something like that but the fact that you know i think are, i think all we said at the time yeah when somebody can play back i think all we said was that the central was fairly wide open <laughs> yeah and that might be the extent that uh that they deserved at the time i, I just went back and looked at fangrass they fangrass gave him a 22 percent chance of making the playoffs which was a lot higher than i gave him i know that much but here we are a week before september and like you know they're they are right there and again i think the padres talent will win out in the end but the padres got a tough september coming coming ahead of them Fangraphs gives the Reds at this point the uh, the edge for that last wild card spot and a sixty percent chance of making the playoffs. Again, I I still keep on wanting to bet on the uh, Padres, and maybe it's because I want to see Fernando Tatis in the playoffs and you know get as many of baseball's young stars as we can into the postseason. But um, you got to enjoy the story, and you still you know you got to be thrilled about it. And if we get to see a young Jonathan India, I mean, like he. He's a top prospect coming up at one point or another, or at least, well, he was a top draft pick. He was never really, I suppose, a top prospect. But uh, um, seeing a player, you know, deliver on that potential, you know, that's always a good story. Always good to see. You know, the- I think the Giants are the, the biggest story in baseball. I mean, just going into the year, what we thought about the Dodgers and also uh, San Diego and for them to be rolling and leading out West. And then, uh, of course, the evil empire and their resurgence with uh, – in the East and uh, their acquisitions there at the deadline thought Cashman might've been under a little bit of uh, pressure and he did pull out a couple of uh, uh, big deals and they've been rolling and we'll see if they can, you know, that could be sustained for them in the playoffs. I still think Tampa's the best uh, uh, team in the American league. And, um, you know, uh, unfortunately for the Rays, uh, losing glass now that's going to hurt in any short series but they've been able to weather that loss and and continue their run throughout the year which is again just uh remarkable you know what they're able to achieve year in year out uh that's it for us that's 52 minutes of about 45 minutes of me uh bitching about the orioles and you know <laughs> five seven minutes of uh some general MLB thought, but good thoughts. Uh, Steven and Matt indulge me, so thanks to them. Uh, we'll be back next week. And if the world's losing streak is 25 at that point, we'll just uh, – We'll do some jello shots or something. <clears throat> we yeah. will drink heavily and we'll get right into the MLB section uh, <laughs> um, talk. And maybe I'll bitch some more about uh, can you add please two starters this offseason. That would be great. Thanks. Yep. All right. Join us next week. Take care. Find us at the board. Find Matt and Stephen on Twitter. And take care. Have a good one.